You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 115th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm so excited to continue the topic of mental freedom while talking with my friend and colleague, Tony Kitchens. Tony Kitchens is a man driven by passion and purpose, fueled by the 180-degree turn from a life of crime and addiction to a life of successful community reintegration. He intertwines his experiential knowledge of incarceration with evidence-based practices to deliver community reintegration methodologies that support criminal justice reform. Tony is a board member with the Georgia Center for Opportunity. He has also served on the Georgia Department of Corrections Commissioner Advisory Panel. Tony has worked for the Governor's Office of Transition, Support, and Reentry, the Department of Community Supervision, and was one of the key team members to work on the Georgia Prisoner Reentry Initiative. He graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Argosy University earned his graduate certificate in reentry leadership from the Institute of Prison Ministries at Wheaton College and is certified in choice theory and reality therapy. Welcome, Tony, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your community reintegration program and mental freedom. Well, thank you, Kim. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Many people always ask me, what is community reintegration? I respond with that. Because my incarceration experience was not the toughest experience was inside the prison. My toughest experience was outside of prison. So for years, I've studied the community reintegration to define exactly what is community reintegration. When in the context of incarceration, community reintegration is the process of preparing those who have been impacted by incarceration for the opportunity. And the key word here is opportunity to optimize their personal, social, and vocational choices on their journey to mental freedom. I want to unpack that for just a moment because one of the key words in that definition is opportunity. So many times when you're in the incarcerated environment, you hear a lot about faith, about staying strong, and you hear a lot about hope. While those two things are great, faith and hope together It's great, but faith and hope by itself without an opportunity is a dream because one needs the opportunity in order to exercise the possibility. See, possibility is what activates the hope and the desire to move forward is the possibility because I remember experiencing, and this is our experiences not only with myself, but with other people as well. That when you have an opportunity placed before you, if you don't see it as a possibility, you won't even try. Possibility activates the faith part. Hope is the beginning of faith. And I say that possibility is beginning of the whole opportunity process. That makes a lot of sense. Most of the people in corrections talk about reentry. They're not talking about reintegration. So I was wondering if you could help us understand the difference. Let me give you an analogy of reentry and community reintegration. 
when a rocket is on its way back from the stratosphere, on its re-entry into the atmosphere, it is engaged in the re-entry process. But once that rocket splashes down into the ocean, it has achieved that re-entry process. So now what? What is the next step? Is the rocket left in the ocean at that point? No. The rocket is usually, the people that are in the rocket is now engaged in a reintegration process back into the community or back into a state of well-being. See, reintegration is more about achieving a state of well-being, trying to figure out where you fit, especially coming from an incarceration experience. One could be successful at reentry by living under a bridge. All you got to do is stay out of prison. That's living a marginalized life. Reintegration has to do more so with, again, your well-being and your mental freedom. Viktor Frankl said it best. Viktor Frankl said that everything can be taken from a man, but the last of human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. What that really means is that the opportunity to choose one's way is oftentimes what is not available to those who are coming from an incarceration experience. The opportunity to be the best that they can be. I'd just like to say something about Viktor Frankl, because he's someone that I truly admire. And he was a man who was imprisoned in a Nazi death camp Mm -hmm. um, during World War II for doing nothing. He was Jewish and he was a psychiatrist and he was put into this prison and he lost everything, family, dignity, everything you could think of. But he wrote a book based on that experience called Man's Search for Meaning. And I would encourage the audience, if you haven't already read that book, it really is a game changer. And it's just like Tony's saying, he maintained his last human dignity, his ability to choose his attitude. And he did that well. Thanks for bringing him up, Tony. He's, I think he's one of the original choice theory people. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Over the years, we focus a lot on reentry. I remember when reentry wasn't even a word at one point. Because reentry focuses a lot on satisfying the basic needs like food, clothing, shelter, employment, those types of things. But in my experience, especially when I was working with the Department of Community Supervision, I used to see a lot of people return to prison and it will always wonder why. And so I would do research asking questions about what was the catalyst and I found that many people were in this searching mode. They didn't kind of know where they fit. I know that when you don't know where you fit, you act like a misfit. And while they may have had a support system, they had jobs, they had things that the research says that makes you successful at reentry, but there was always something missing. And so I looked at that and said, what is missing in this community reintegration process? What is missing in the reentry process? And, you know, when I came upon choice theory, that's when I began to understand the tenets of choice theory and the tenets of mental freedom and began to look at from a mental freedom perspective, especially in the area of connection. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to talk a little bit more about opportunity before I get into the connection needs and the significance and freedom needs, because we've got to understand that opportunity is in the area of correction, in the area of incarceration. I see it as a dual role. I see it as what the stakeholders to provide the opportunity, because I'm on the board of Georgia Center of Opportunity. I see the role that institutions play with the extension of the opportunity. 
But I also see where those who are impacted by incarceration being prepared or the need to be prepared to receive the opportunity. Because as I said earlier about possibility, if you don't have the possibility, you can't see it. It's not so much extending the opportunity, that's a two-way street, an extension of the opportunity. But if you're not prepared to see it or can't see the opportunity, well, it has no value. It's similar to spending a lot of your time building a $5 million cruise ship, but someone forgets to build the $5,000 bridge. It has no value if you can't get on it. So that's how opportunity is for those who are impacted by incarceration. You see the $500 million yacht or the $500 million cruise ship, but there's no bridge. There's no bridge of opportunity. So you're kind of left stuck on the side and you just see this ship that you can't get on. You're left with the hope and the dream. What were those two words you used? You're left with the hope and the faith. Exactly. You're left with the hope and the faith. You got a lot of hope. You're hoping that you can get on it. You got faith that someday that you will. But where's the $5,000 bridge? And so that's what opportunity to me represents is the building of the bridge and being ready to walk across that bridge, being ready to take advantage of the opportunity. So being ready is something that I'm sure requires preparation. So what kind of preparation are you thinking about for people to be able to take advantage of that opportunity? Well, I think that much of it has to do with a mental process of being prepared, understanding that you have value. I can talk about my incarceration experience, but I learned that I had value. For many years, I thought that my incarceration experience had no value. But it was not until someone said to me that my incarceration experience is part of my whole human experience. That's when I began to realize that the mistakes that I made, the mistakes was not for me to live by, but to learn by. Mm, That's a big distinction. Exactly. So for many years, I was living by the mistakes and not really learning from the mistakes. Coming from that incarceration experience, one of the first steps is to understand that and to grasp that as part of your human experience, now, where do you begin to build from there? How do you now begin to build connections with people? How do you begin to find your significance? How do you begin to find what defines you? Who are you? How do you begin to answer some of those questions? How do you begin to enjoy a level of freedom, the freedom to choose? the freedom to know that you have value? How do you begin to experience joy in ways that is comfortable for you? These are questions that help you in the preparation to see the opportunity. Because again, going back to the possibility, if you can't see the opportunity or if you don't think that you deserve the opportunity, you won't even try to embrace the opportunity. Right. That's beautiful. So preparation is really important to help people First of all, recognize they deserve it. And then second of all, figuring out how to avail themselves of this opportunity that's in front of them. I know that you've mentioned mental freedom a few times, and I know you know mental freedom is my baby. You've talked about using that in the community reintegration process. Can you talk about how you combine those two? Well, how I combine the mental freedom process is focusing on what Viktor Frankl said when he said the last of human freedoms to be taken, and that one of those is choice. So when we look at mental freedom, many times in an incarceration experience, 
you focus a lot on the physical freedom because that's what's being taken away from you. But once you achieve that, once you're let free from that, now what? Now what happens? You see, it's kind of like the spaceship or the rocket that splashes down in the ocean. Now that it has achieved that, what is the next step? Many people don't think about the term mental freedom. They don't think about mental freedom and capacity where it focuses on connection, it focuses on significance, it focuses on freedom. They don't think about it in those terms. They think about it more so, again, if I get free, I can do this, this, and the other. But there's a lot more to it than that because the mental freedom process is rooted in your ability to choose, your ability to choose your responses, for example. We talk about being responsible, but we also need to know that in that word responsible is your ability to respond. Well, that's one tenet of mental freedom, is your ability to respond. Another one that I would incorporate in the community reintegration process is unconditional trust challenge. You see- One of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because here's, here's the reality of the incarceration experience. The reality of incarceration experience is that you're dreaming dreams that's based upon a world that's constantly turning and constantly moving. When you exit from an incarceration experience, most of the things that you thought about is already 20 years, 15 years behind. And so now you're really playing mental catch up. You kind of take things that face value, especially people, because in the incarceration experience, you deal with people that's kind of not all people the one way, but you get used to the type of environment that's in that incarceration experience. But when you exit from that experience, now you engage with different types of people. You engage all different types of people, different ways. Looking at people that the way that they are and not the way you hope they will be mm-hmm. is a really, really key thing. Because one thing about the incarceration experience, you have a very low tolerance level. You easily to get frustrated. I've seen it many, many times. Because they have these high expectations of what this quality world picture should look like. I've seen it a lot of times with family members. Family members typically are the last one to see you change. Why is that? Because they have the most information about who you used to be. And that's the picture that many times they have in their head of what you used to be. And you're on this end saying, well, I have changed. And you're wanting them to see the immediate change that you've accomplished. But they still got in their quality world picture, the image of what you used to be. Unconditional trust challenge as it relates to incarceration is seeing the people to where they are and trusting in that. Can you say a little more about that, Tony? Say a little bit more about the unconditional trust challenge? Well, about when you come out of an incarceration experience. And let me first ask you about that. You're calling Mm -hmm. it an incarceration experience rather than just plain incarceration. Is there a reason that you do that? Is there significance to that? Yes, because remember I said earlier that it's all part of your whole human experience. Right. So when you call it an incarceration experience rather than incarceration, for me, it helps me to understand that it's a part of my human experience, my human existence. I thought there was a reason, and I wanted to highlight it because I hadn't talked to you about that before and didn't understand. So you call it an experience because it's just one experience in your entire human experience. Correct. One experience, and I like the way you said it, one experience your whole entire human experience. 
when you put that in context of incarceration, it kind of have a deadening effect. The way that I say this incarceration experience, it seems to motivate me or inspire me. Right. It doesn't talk about who you are. It talks about something you endured. You're not a convict, right? right. You're, <laughs> exactly. you, 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 had, <laughs> you had an experience and it's over and now yes. you choose your next experience. Yes. And that's why the word returning citizen, I don't use that word a lot. And for those that do, that, that's their choice. Because if I'm calling myself a returning citizen, Three years after an exit and incarceration experience, returning is the process of becoming. I'm always in the process of becoming returned in. But at what point do I become returned? So if I'm saying that to myself five, 10 years later, I'm kind of putting myself on a mental treadmill at that point because I'm at a point to where I think I can never be. That is so interesting because, of course, my mind goes to how people in recovery are always saying, I'm a recovering addict. I'm a recovering alcoholic. They don't say, I'm recovered. And maybe it would be better if they could say, I'm recovered. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something to claim. Yes. Yes. Back to the unconditional trust challenge. As the person emerging and reintegrating into the community, and you're being exposed to the people that you knew before you went into prison, what are you trusting them to be or to do? Many times I think that you're trusting the person to see you in your newfound life, not realizing that they may not be able to see that yet because they haven't moved past a certain trust level. And you want them to see you in this newfound life, and it may be difficult for them to do that. So the unconditional trust challenge as it relates to the context of incarceration, giving that person the freedom to be who they are while you continue to work on who you are. And at some point, they will see what you're trying to get them to see. Or they may not ever see it. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Exactly. They may not ever see it. So it's really trusting them to be where they are, where they need to be in that moment. And not trying to change them or get them to see you any particular kind of way. You're just going to be in that relationship the way that you want to be in that relationship, and they'll see you for who you are, or they won't. Correct. And you'll continue to grow and develop and to be the person that you want to be. That's why we talk about the other side of the opportunity. It's the preparation part, the preparation of the opportunity. Because the more you're stuck in trying to convince someone to see you in your newfound light, the actually the duller your light becomes. Right, because you're trying too hard. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you may never get a person to see you the way you want them to see you. Because they are dealing with their own stuff and they're having to protect their own hearts. And they're doing what they need to do for themselves. It may not be what you want for them to do, but it needs to be okay. Correct. That is correct. There's another question I'd like to ask you, Tony. I've heard you say a couple of times that you were involved in an incarceration experience. It wasn't fun, to say the least. And you said that you came out of there and you were physically free, but you weren't mentally free. When you learned mental freedom, you really became mentally free. Can you share a little bit of that and talk about the difference between being physically free and being mentally free in your case? In my case, I had built a mental prison that was built the bricks of discrimination, outcasts, Isolation, 
unworthiness, shame, and those bricks of discriminations, many of those bricks that I created, I experienced all of the isms, the sexism, the racism, the classism, ageism, because I was all bundled under the term that people wanted to call me, which was formerly incarcerated individual, convict, you choose one because I don't call myself any of those, but whatever they call me, the isms was bundled in that label. And so for a long time, I believed those labels. So I act like an outcast. I used to act like a misfit. I was always felt that I was unworthy. I carried a lot of shame and guilt. But it's not until I began to realize that my, again, conservation experience had value, that it was part of my experience, my whole human experience. That began to help me to see that I had value, that I had the ability to choose. I kind of always knew that. And I just didn't know how powerful the choice was. Once I began to embrace the power to choose, that's really when I began to activate my choice to change because I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I thought that the problem was out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In actuality, I'm the one who built that mental prison myself. Yeah. I used not once to step out behind the shadows. I would always play second fiddle to a lot of things because it was safe to be in the second chair or the second fiddle. It was always safe to be there. And I stayed in that role for quite some time. But it was not until, again, I engaged in mental freedom that I began to step out behind the chair and realize that I had significance realize that I bring something to the table that I matter. Oh, I definitely see. I've seen for a long time, Tony, the significance in you. Have you engaged the concept of glow as it relates to your incarceration experience? Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. Beat me to the punch on that one because that's (laughs) absolutely Yes. And not only just in the incarceration experience, but in many of my experiences, I learned to look at it from the perspective of blow, looking at where's the gift, where's the lessons, the opportunity, and the wisdom. What is that to gain from this experience? Because that's what it is. It's an experience. What am I to gain from this? I like to say this, that I remember my grandfather used to, he used to tease me all the time. He said, when I was younger, he said, that God does not give you wisdom without taking away youth. So now I know what he meant because it's about life experiences. The more life experience you have, the more wisdom that you're able to glean from. I practice glow a lot. I really do. I practice that in pretty much everything that I do. When my incarceration experience in the beginning, I didn't know how to do that. I did not know how to look at the incarceration experience as a gift or as a lesson, definitely wasn't an opportunity. I didn't think that it was possible for me. To give you a case in point about opportunity, you read earlier from my bio that I graduated summa cum laude. Well, I could have done that years ago. Mm -hmm. I could have done that years ago, but I didn't think it was possible because remember, I had built this prison of discrimination, outcasts, isolation, unworthiness. I had built that mental prison. That's where I live. I didn't see the education had any value for me. But it was not until someone said to me, the education does not guarantee you anything, except that it allows you to put your name in a hat. 
Now that activated my possibility. Yep. I could see it. But even then, even after completing the application and got accepted into the school, but even when I fill out the application and I marked the, have you ever been convicted of a crime? I said, well, they're not going to ever call me back. First attempt at self-sabotage. Second attempt at self-sabotage, even when I got the letter of acceptance, I called the school and said, are you sure you hadn't made a mistake? <laughs> well, you wanted him to tell you no. Exactly, exactly. That was, that's the second attempt at self-sabotage. <laughs> the third attempt at self-sabotage is when I went to school for the very first time, and I waited until everybody left the class, and I walked up to the professor, and I said, do you know that I'm a formerly incarcerated individual? I said this hoping that he was going to confirm my negative attitude I had about myself, but he didn't do that. He said, use your experiences while you're here at this institution. And when he said that, I went on ahead to graduate sooner than life. So you see, the opportunity to go to college was always there, but I couldn't see it because I could not see the possibility. That's why when we talk about opportunity, it's not just enough to extend an opportunity to a person that's coming from that experience, but it's also helping them to see the value or to see the possibility of that opportunity. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what you'll do in the community reintegration process. That is correct. That is correct. Because we'll help the person to move beyond reentry to community integration because reentry is such an end goal. Going back to the analogy of the rocket, right. we don't leave the rocket in the ocean. No, it's not the end goal at all. And no. to abandon people with that as the end goal is the same as leaving astronauts in the ocean. Correct. We don't do that. Correct. I love that analogy. It's perfect, Tony. I hate to do this because we're running out of time, but I wonder if you have anything you'd like to add that we haven't already talked about. No, I think that one of the challenges that with community reintegration is helping those who've been impacted by incarceration, not just those who've experienced incarceration, but I said impacted by incarceration. That means the family members of the incarcerated as well. To understand that there's a process beyond reentry, that reentry is not the end goal. Reentry is the beginning of the whole community reintegration process. So that is what I would like to continue advocating for is the community reintegration process as part of the person's journey to mental freedom. I see it as the lifeline. Yes. You've got people in the water and they're swimming, but they need a little help. And that's what the reintegration is about. It's the lifeline, Correct. the connection to what could be, what's possible. I'm wondering if you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell our audience about, any programs, interviews, anything that they could join in on? No, not at the moment, but I'm, I'm always open to anyone in the audience that wants to invite me to an interview, that's for sure. All right. Well, we'll put that out there and see what people say. If anybody's interested in reaching you for one of those speaking opportunities, or if they'd just like to know more about your community reintegration process, how could they reach you, Tony? That's where to reach me is going to be the email. You can reach me at T-K-I-T-C-H-E-N-S. That's T-Kitchens at my change, my choice, 
Com. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, Tony. You're doing important work, and I'm so happy you're willing to share it with us. Thank you so much. Well, Kim, thank you for the opportunity to express the important role of community integration as it also relates to mental freedom. I really appreciate your teachings as well. So again, thank you for this opportunity. Totally my pleasure, Tony. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be continuing the topic of mental freedom and speaking with Bruce Davenport about the many ways he uses mental freedom in his life with himself, his family, clients, and even golf. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.